Why? And welcome back. This is Difficult Conversations, Season 2, Episode 2. And we're doing something a little different this this time this season. We're going to have what we call monthly meetups, where we're going to bring back two of everybody's favorite guests. We're going to bring back Dr. Obed Magny and Mike Powell. So first, um, without further ado, I'm going to bring on Mike Powell. Mike has been working on some pet projects. So Mike's going to come on, and he's going to tell you a little bit about what he's got going on. Hey, Mike, how you doing tonight? Fantastic, fantastic. Thanks for uh, having me back, Dean. It's always a pleasure to be here. And as you can see, I'm... I'm, uh, you know, I'm sporting my 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 uh, my new shirt. Proud to represent it. You look amazing, as always. You look fantastic, <laughs> Mike. So, you know, we were talking backstage for a little bit. You said that you have a pet project, something that you, you're looking to launch. Tell everybody about what you got going on. Yeah, it's something kind of similar to what you're, Dean, uh, what you're doing, uh, Dean, in regards to just advocacy in, in regards to uh, some of the issues that are going on. Um, in the world today as it relates to just um, a general understanding of, of laws and, uh, you know, trying to build a better relationship between uh, law enforcement and the community. And, and I, and I think, you know, and, and I think, you know, I like your slogan. It's, it's supply the why, because uh, a lot of times what, what happens is people have issues with things until you actually you know, supply the why. Until you explain um, why we do things the way we do, uh, it gives uh, the general public a better idea about um, what what we do and how we do it. So, uh, you know, like your um, like your project, mine mine has similar um, similar roles. Uh, it's it's called uh, Warriors to to Guardians, and and it it, it means uh, several things. Uh, it it's it also it means for me is I was a veteran, so you have that warrior mentality. Uh, when I served in the in the military, so coming to law enforcement, things are changing in society. So you you have to take that warrior mentality and transition that to a guardian mentality. Hence, why uh, my project is called Warriors to Guardians. That's amazing. Now, how can we find you if people are interested in your project? What are the ways that we can kind of follow you and just keep track of your progress? Uh, I, I, I periodically I'll, I'll post things out. I may post some things to my page. It, it's kind of it's kind of new. Um, I'm just starting to get into it again. Like I said, it's it's um, it's it's kind of fresh. So I'm just trying to figure out the best way of of, of providing um, the best um, tools for advocacy to uh, for public consumption. So, well, so Facebook is probably the best thing right now. All right. So what is your Facebook page again? Uh, Warriors to Guardians. So Warriors to the number two Guardians. Outstanding. All right. So if you're out there and you like what Mike has to say, please hit him up, Warriors to Guardians. All right. Our next guest needs no introduction. He's one of everybody's favorites. Please welcome back Dr. Obed Magny. Oh, man. Uh, how you guys doing? And bravo right. to you, and bravo to you, Mr. Powell, uh, on your um, your now our future endeavors, I guess you could call it. Yeah, um, I think that's yeah, great. Yeah, thank you. Guardians to I mean, warriors to gardens. Yes, guardians. It's Monday. Yeah. Forgive me. You know, it's late. <laughs> you're on the west coast, so you're, you're a healthy guy. Oh, yeah. You eat all those veggies you eat, so that's why you're talking about. Yeah. Guys. That's what it is. I'm going to put you off the tofu. That, that's what that is right now, you know. <laughs> so, Obed, I see that you're sporting a, a new shirt. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you got going on? So, uh, first and foremost, I'm here representing Supply the Y2. All right, where's my shirt? All right. All right. All right. Keep, I, don't want, I don't want your audience members thinking I'm, not, I'm leaving you hanging, so I'm here representing y'all. Um, so the M, obviously, this is my logo, Magni Leadership. How you doing, young Jenkins? How you doing? She's like, ah, stop hey, talking hi. to me. This is Dylan. Uh, how you doing, Dylan? <laughs> Dylan's going to be the new star, the future uh, host of the show. Um, yeah, so this is Magni Leadership. That's yep. my, Yeah, it's a business that I'm running, a uh, consulting business. Uh, you know, <clears throat> we need transformational leadership and policing. And, you know, the goal of my organization, or you say my business, is to bring that transformative leadership uh, to the profession so that it works for everyone, the police and for our citizens in many, many communities. So we use emotional intelligence 
training, other leadership types of training. Uh, so that's just a little bit of what I'm doing. Uh, for some who do not know, I just came back from Dallas last weekend uh, because of a walk that I did with two of my colleagues, Tark McGuire and Sean Barnes, where we walked from Selma to Montgomery, uh, 54 miles to bring awareness and raise the consciousness of community police relations, as we all know, is super frail um, during these times, during these tumultuous times. So uh, one of the things that I'm doing, uh, my 54th mile is to help community police relations using this vehicle, Magna Leadership, to uh, help bring us all together because Lord knows we need that more than anything else right now. So that's just a little bit about me. I love it, man. You're always hustling, you're always grinding, and you're motivating others. Um, so, again, I'm a little jealous. Maybe I should have went with the collared shirt. You know, that you are you know, you know, are a doctor, so you look, uh, you In look the a bit more polite. Listen, in the interest of transparency and disclosure, so I don't know my own strength. You can probably see I uh, knocked off one of my buttons So uh, when I was putting this on. So I'm over here rocking, the, trying to do the close this button here, and it ain't working. So <laughs> I'm a hot mess tonight, so I'm off on the wrong foot. Well, Dean, it's more in line with his title, too. I mean, he is a doctor. So, you know, he, he needs <laughs> yes, the, uh, that, he needs the college shirt. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> yep, we're not going to let you away with that, Obed. You know that we're going to be on you for the entire show. So with that said, let's break away yeah. from that. And what I've been doing, gentlemen, is I, I usually find a video that I think kind of kicks, kicks us off in the right direction. So why don't we take a look at this? Give me a second. I am going to fast forward. It's a blonde video. I'm going to fast forward to the part that I think is the most relevant, and then we'll have a quick discussion, and uh, off we'll go from there. All right? So stand by, fellas. Fantastic. months after 26 now leading up through Brianna Taylor and others mm -hmm. and so this is going to have to keep going missing one game missing a couple of games mm -hmm. is not going to change anything dramatic necessarily right. the, the pursuit of it has got to be dogged and determined this particular and I'm going to touch on this tomorrow and beyond please don't get me wrong but I want to move this conversation forward in this regard because we've seen so many protests we've seen players you know really really expressing themselves for all the right reasons But it comes down to what are you going to do about it? What are you really, really after? Because that's what a lot of people in our society are asking. Now, this particular case in the state of Kentucky, it has, you know, uh, what, what is it called? No knock warrants. Okay. now that didn't uh, that's not applicable to this case because the attorney general said that this didn't involve a no knock warrant. But it's interesting. Do you know that no knock warrants? Obviously, that exists in Kentucky. So does a license to carry. So does stand your ground laws, a la Trayvon Martin from years ago. So if you can have, if you can execute a no-knock warrant in a state, and that same state there's a license to carry, and that same state there's stand your ground laws, that's a powder keg waiting to happen between citizens and law enforcement officials. Maybe, just maybe, if... All right. So we won't get into the, you know, I don't necessarily want to get into the politics of what NBA players and NFL players should or should not be doing. Um, that's a different show for a different time. But what I did think was positive was I did enjoy the whole, you know, the powder keg analogy that he used You know, and when he talked about that when you have these different things – Excuse me one second, gentlemen. There we go. So when you have all these different elements together, where you have a stand-your-ground rule, a law, you have a license to carry, where you can be licensed to carry, and then you couple that with no-knock warrants, something like this might have been bound to happen. All right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Mike first. Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about What is a no-knock warrant? Because a lot of people don't really understand what it is and what the process is for obtaining one and why they, they have a purpose. So go ahead. The floor is yours. Yeah. So, so here in Massachusetts, a, a, a no-knock warrant. So you, you have two types of, of search warrants, uh, generally speaking. is You have your, your routine warrant, uh, search warrant 
which requires uh, you, well, us in Massachusetts, as far as law enforcement, it requires us in Massachusetts to knock and announce before we enter uh, a home on a routine search warrant. However, there's also something called a uh, knock, uh, a no-knock warrant. And a no-knock warrant in Massachusetts, there's several, there's several uh, layers of, of oversight with a no-knock warrant in Massachusetts. So they, it's not just given to you willy-nilly. Uh, you, you, you know, so first of all, if you have a no-knock warrant, that means there's a heightened level of, of concern in regards to the, the, the location you're trying to enter. And when I say a heightened, um, a heightened concern, it's in regards to safety, uh, the escape of the person being sought or, uh, the destruction of evidence. So, so to get a no-knock warrant, you're going to have to hit one of those three things. And, and it's based upon you have to have a probable cause to believe that there's a safety issue, that uh, um, the escape of uh, an, an individual is imminent or the destruction of property. That's going to trigger uh, the no knock search warrant. Um, and again, there's a lot of oversight. It has to typically, in my experience, it, you, a, a supervisor has to look at it. There's a threat, uh, a threat assessment that, that needs to be completed. Um, something that's recommended here in Massachusetts is once your affidavit is complete and it has that language in there, you requesting specifically requesting a no knock warrant. It goes to a search warrant team at the at the district attorney's office. Then after it gets kicked back and, and, and things may need to change or language may need to change. It comes back to you. Then it has to go to, to another layer layer of scrutiny, which is a, a neutral body, which is a clerk magistrate um, or a judge. That has to sign off on that warrant. So it's just it's not that easy to get in Massachusetts. However, you can get it if you can articulate based upon probable cause. If you can articulate 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 a safety concern, the escape of the individual being sought or the destruction of, of evidence. That's what you're going to need for a no knock search warrant in the state so of Massachusetts. Very detailed explanation. But I got to jump in on one thing. Yep. Now, I think a lot of people. They hear probable cause and they think, well, that's what you need to arrest somebody on the street. But the process that you described is a lot more stringent than what it takes to arrest somebody on the street. Would you agree? Disagree? Yes, uh, it's 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 definitely it's definitely more stringent. And like I said, because it has so many layers of, of, of scrutiny. You're going through multiple layers of, of eyes, meaning, again, typically the supervisor reviews that affidavit. Uh, it goes to a search warrant team and, and the magistrate uh, uh, or the judge uh, has to also approve that. So th there's several layers that are that are uh, that are actually reading that affidavit. Um, and, it, and it just because you feel that there's probable cause to believe that you have one of those concerns that I mentioned doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a no knock search warrant in the state of Massachusetts. So it, it's it. And again, it, it's it's not. You have to explain, clearly explain in your affidavit prior. So it requires advance notice. You can't just walk into the courthouse and say, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to hit uh, 123 Main Street. Uh, I want a no-knock search warrant. They, they're going to look at you like you have two heads. You can't. That's not how it works in Massachusetts. So you, you brought up three different circumstances which would trigger a no-knock warrant. So you talked about escapability. Mm -hmm. You talked about dangerousness. Usually that means, i.e., weapons, firearms, explosives, things like that, right? And the yes. third one was destruction of evidence, correct? Correct. If you knock and announce, for example, and someone hears, hey, police, next thing you know, we hear toilets flushing. Right. And, right? and again, and again, it's not that easy. So just because I feel like this, it's an intimate setting and, you know, you, you have this general general knowledge that, you know, the bedroom is close to the to the bathroom. That's not necessarily going to give you a no knock search warrant. And that, that so you have to be able to uh, clearly explain in your affidavit of why you believe that there's going to be the destruction of evidence. So that could mean you had information from a source that says, listen, if I hear knocking at the door and I and I and I feel like it's the police, I got it ready to go right near the toilet. So so all you need to do. So 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 things like that. That's what's going to heighten your concern um, and lead you to believe um, that there may be the destruction of evidence. So let me get Obed in here. Obed, 
talk to us a little bit about exigency. <laughs> what is your definition of exigency and, and, and tell us about your process in California, being that you are literally on the other edge of the country from where Michael and I work. Yeah. So I can actually somewhat answer two questions at once. So everything that Mike just said is pretty consistent with, you know, the state of California, generally speaking. And if you, for the audience members or for those who weren't here before, but I mentioned this on the last time I was on your show is unfortunately in policing, you know, that stringentness that you might have in one state isn't necessarily required in another state. And what one department requires as far as like certain thresholds, the department next door doesn't have to abide by that. So you've got inconsistencies across the board. So you may have some expectations, right? So some people might think, hey, well, you know, I live in Needham, Massachusetts, and I know that in Needham, this is what we do and so on and so forth. That certain expectation that you have that every police department does the exact same thing or follows the same road, unfortunately, that's not the case. So that's where you have a lot of these inconsistencies. And that's why, you know, in one location, you can have a system that allows for something like this to happen where it may not happen in another jurisdiction. So we got to get that out in front. Not everybody's doing it the same way because, again, there is no uniformity across the country, coast to coast. So as it pertains to exigency, so let me try to give an example. So Mike gave a lot, a lot of detail out there. So let me try to paint a picture for you. If you got information that, I don't know, this guy, Obed Magni, sleeps right next in front of the front door, and he's got a shotgun, and the second he hears something, he starts blasting, that could be grounds for no-knock warrant where you got to show up unannounced, not giving anybody the chance to, you know, retaliate and so on and so forth. But it's kind of like that probable cause plus. So not only do you need that probable cause where, you know, you got to have a photo of the location, you've got to have the address number, you've got to have a Google Maps, all of these details, you got to have all of that and then some just to even be able to apply for one of these no-knocks. So when we talk about exigency, um, we all know that the police can't enter your home, right? Unless what? They got a warrant, probation, parole, you give them permission. And the only time they can enter your home without your permission is, like I said, probation, parole, or they've got a warrant. So when you think about exigency, if somebody's running from me because I'm trying to detain them for whatever reason and they run into a house, I'm kicking that door in and I'm going in after that person. Exigency, the law states that I can do that. Now, if somebody ran into somebody's house two weeks ago and I think they're in the house, well, there is no exigency because you don't have that fresh pursuit. So I'm not going to kick in the door because I heard Dean Jenkins was up in here and he's wanted to steal a whole bunch of DCRs. You know, it's, just, it's not going to work like that. So, you know, when you think about the exigency, a no-knock warrant is kind of like that exigency for a search warrant. And it's very, very high. I mean, any warrant being served is already high risk in and of itself. But for a no-knock, that's like, this is really special. What are those special circumstances? If we're talking about somebody's trying to, you know, if we talk about the information in the house is, oh, they only have, I don't know, a half ounce of weed and they might throw it in the toilet. Ain't no judge signing no out for that. I mean, let's just be real. Okay. But there's got to be, and again, every case is always going to be different. It's not like, well, every single time if somebody's like two feet from the door when they're asleep, it just depends on those circumstances. So again, it just, it's got to be articulated very, very well. But Again, not to favor the point, it just depends on what jurisdiction you're in and what state you live in and what department you're in. So the one thing that I can say from the, from the again, I haven't done a ton of research as to what every state does for no-knock warrants, but I think the one consistent theme is it is not your standard level of probable cause. They really, I think part of the problem too, gentlemen, is I think they should come up with a higher standard, a name for that standard. Because you, as you both articulated, it is not your run-of-the-mill probable cause where it's basically 51%, you think somebody committed a crime, that's usually right. probable cause, more likely than not, right? Right. This so is, This is the highest possible level of probable cause in the amount of proof that you have to lay in front of a judge to get them to sign off on one of these is, some, is something that, that people need to understand, that this is not – a fly by the seat of my pants. Mm -hmm. Let me just slide this document across the desk to the judge, and they're going to sign off on it. 
They're going to have mm-hmm. a lot of questions, and then they're going to have questions about those questions, correct? Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Right. That, being, that being said, I got two things for you. First of all, Obed VCRs. <laughs> hey, man, I, you know what? I'm thinking back to our college football days. That's what I thought our thing with VCRs. It just came out of nowhere. I just want you to know, 1999 called, and they want their joke back, all right? So, <laughs> secondly, from there, we have a fantastic question from Mike LaFleur. So, Mike asked, if Breonna Taylor was a no-knock warrant, then why did some people say they heard the police announce themselves? Why, would they do that if they had a no-knock warrant? So, Mike, talk about that. If you get a no-knock warrant, does that yeah. mean you're locked in? You've got to kick the door in, or can you reassess? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so in, in law enforcement, when, when we um, – people who have experience with, with search warrants, you, you, you know, they hear that doorway reappraisal. And what that means for, for, um, you know, for folks who, who have no idea about law enforcement and search warrants and all of that stuff, a, a doorway reappraisal, all that means is if I have a no-knock warrant, a no-knock search warrant, which, again, has to hit three of those prongs in, order, uh, in Massachusetts in, 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 in order for me to get that, in order for a judge or a magistrate to sign off on that, it has to hit those three prongs, safety, escape, or the destruction of evidence. So, so I bring up those three concerns. If if I if one of those three concerns, let's say it's it's uh, it's it's the destruction of, of evidence or uh, safety. Let's go with safety. If I feel like there's a safety concern and that safety concern that I articulated in that affidavit is no longer present, is no longer relevant. I no longer have a, a, a no knock search warrant, even though I was signed off. Um, I got signed off for the no knock. It's it's I have to reappraise the situation now. So if my concern has been addressed, has been eliminated, is no longer there, I no longer have a no knock search warrant. I have a knock and announce search warrant. So and it goes both ways. So if you have a, a, a routine search warrant, I don't like saying routine search warrant, but if you have a search warrant and it is and it is a search warrant which which requires you to knock and announce, police search warrant police search warrant, that can change into a no-knock search search warrant in Massachusetts if you meet one of those requirements. So even though it's not signed off by a, 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 a judge, you can still turn that uh, knock-and-announce search warrant into a no-knock search warrant if you have a safety concern. Let me, let me just briefly say, let me just briefly explain what I mean. So if I have a knock-and-announce uh, search warrant, and I get and I'm going to the house, right? My team's going to the house. We're getting ready. The heart's beating. You're pumped up, right? The blood's flowing through your body like, yeah, here we go. Here we go. And then somebody looks out the window. Guess what? What does that mean? That means you, you might have a safety concern. So that that uh, that knock and announce search warrant can now turn into a no knock search warrant, meaning they already know you're coming. So if they already know you're coming, I mean, it's reasonable to believe that you may have a safety concern or the escape of, of someone, you, you, uh, the, the person being sought may escape, or the destruction of evidence. It's reasonable to believe that. So that can trigger and, and turn into a, a no-knock uh, no knock situation. And if I can uh, just throw uh, my two cents on there. Please do. I was going to ask you to do so. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, no problem. So, you know, in addition to what Mike is saying, you have to remember, if you're making a, hey, police, we're at the door, we're knocking on the door, and then you start hearing, you know, toilet flushing, and then you hear people say, go get the there, – there is no we're going to wait 30, 45 seconds for you to like, okay, I wonder if they're going to comply. At that point, it's an officer safety issue. You don't know if they're reaching for weapons to start blasting through the front door. You don't know if there's crucial evidence that's being, you know, tossed down the toilet or whatever those things are. So it's a huge officer safety issue. And, no, every, you know, obviously every officer wants to go home at the end of the day, and you're not going to take that chance. What the – What's considered reasonable is somewhere between like 20, 30 seconds, um, you know, when you're knocking on the door and announcing yourself that you have a search warrant, right? And, you know, depending on when it's being served, whether it's late, late, late at night, early, early, early in the morning, um, you've got to take into account it's the totality of the circumstances. So, again, you know, to Mike's point, if I'm, if I'm announcing myself at the door and I'm hearing a lot of movement or people running around in the house, you know, I'm not going to wait forever for somebody to come to the open, the, open up the front door because now, again, I'm thinking, well, 
Well, why would somebody, after I announced myself saying that I'm the police, not answer, run around all over the place, and then so on and so forth? Because people who are usually doing those type of things, um, they're probably up to no good. And I'm not going to wait to find out, if I'm a police officer, to find out what that negative um, that negative thing is. So that's just something that, you know, everybody always has in the back of their minds. Because, again, no, and, you know, to Mike's point, there is no typical search warrant. Uh, it's just every situation is going to be different. Every one of them is high risk. Every one of them are dangerous. So, you know, that's just something to just keep in mind. It's usually it's about 15 to 30 seconds is what's considered reasonable to announce yourself and give somebody ample time to open up the door. But if you're hearing people running around, I'm not saying that's happening in this case. I'm just saying, just generally speaking, if you hear toilets flushing, people running, something's not right. Just something to think about. Absolutely. So let me paint this picture for everybody who's watching. Um, you know, as somebody, we've all been had to, the three of us all have a decent amount of time on. I think between the three of us, we have over 50 years of law enforcement. Um, it sounds crazy to, to say that, but it's, it's when you have your time in, you have your time in. So let me paint this picture for those of you that aren't in law enforcement that are listening in. Think about the layout of your bedroom. Think about all the little things. Think about where you keep your jewelry. Think about where you keep all the things that you don't want, your little secrets, or you don't want anything to know about. Think about all those things. You know exactly where they are and where to access them, right? Well, the people that are coming into your home to execute a warrant of some type, whether it's an arrest warrant, a search warrant, if you're searching for a property, searching for a body, anything, think about the disadvantage that we are at going into that situation. That is why... You have things like no-knock warrants because I guarantee you, you, those of you that are at home right now, think about where you keep your jewelry. How do I know if you get up and go for something that that's where you're going? You just want to do look at your pendant. How do I know that's not where you keep your weapons? Right? So that is why no-knock warrants exist, and that is why police officers are so restrictive about people's movement when we're inside of a home because that is the ultimate away game. So, Mike, do you want to talk a little bit about that, about about the safety and, and the heightened sense of alert you're on when you're on uh, one of these warrants? Yeah, you, you know, just having some experience on a, on a tactical team, you just, regardless of how much research you, you've done and how much time you've put into it in regards to surveillance or whatever the case may be, and, and you never know. Like, uh, Dean, I, I think you – you 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 said it is is when you're going into somebody else's domain, um, your your level of control in regards to what goes on in there it, it, it's 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 minimal until you've actually been able to secure the scene and control all the occup, occupants inside. Um, you never know what you're going to find when you get inside inside a home. So it, it's every every situation that you go in anytime you go into somebody's home and it and, and it relates to an investigation where you have a search warrant uh the potential for um um for the for the the potential for it to go go wrong i mean it's 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 reasonable to believe that um it's there depending upon the the type of search warrant you have if it's uh you know uh violence uh violent crime um you can, you can, you can, sometimes you can kind of, uh, kind of have an idea of, of what you may encounter when you actually get inside that location. So it, it's always, always unpredictable. Anytime you enter somebody else's house, it's always unpredictable. And it's always the unknown for, for law enforcement when we go inside those situations. It's the truth. Obed, your response, please, sir. <laughs> I mean, Mike nailed it. At the end of the day, it's an officer safety issue. <clears throat> at the end of the day, you've got to look at the risk-reward portion of it. You know, when I say risk-reward, I mean more of the, does the level of intervention match what it is that you're trying to accomplish? I think we can all agree it would be excessive if we were looking for a no-knock warrant because you might have, like I said, a half ounce of weed and there's no weapons in the house. I don't know that you need a SWAT team to break somebody's house in and, you know, try to retrieve that level of evidence, right? Uh, depending on what state you're in, of course, because in California, not so much. But, you know, it's just something that you got to think about. It's, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a high risk, um, 
it's a high risk situation, man. It's just, you know, like Mike said, it's, it's not normal for any agency to ask or request for a no knock warrant. It just, it's just not. So when you're doing that, it's gotta be like really, really like you're going after, you know, a huge drug pin or syndicate you're trying to take down and they're all staying in this one location. Like it's gotta be significant for you to even apply, let alone get it. So no, I think Mike nailed everything right there. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that, that Mike does and, just to refresh everybody, Mike is a sergeant detective or detective sergeant, however you want to say it. Um, and this is this is his domain, you know, search warrants, uh, investigations. So this is Mike's day to day with um, for Obed and myself. It's kind of like Disney World, like you know, nice place to visit, but we don't necessarily always want to live there. <laughs> So we don't, we're not doing this every day like Mike is, but we've both spent that time. Oh, but I don't know if you've been on any tactical teams. I was on a warrant apprehension team, uh, yeah. short time. Yep. Um, Did all that. Yep. And I had the pleasure of embarrassing myself on a um, search warrant. Now, mind you, the door is heavily reinforced, but I had the battering ram. Oh yeah. It may have taken me more than thirty seconds in all of my power and strength just to. Get Reinforced door. Oh, oh, see that, that now that was the first mistake because after you know after ten 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 uh ten tries you got to pass it off to the next person. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I may have failed in that department. It may have been like twenty five. You know. I have to believe that's an unwritten rule of some sort. And meanwhile, while you on your twenty fifth swing, those everybody's run out the back door and the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. by the time you get in the house. Yeah. So yeah. it's good of you to. to make fun of that and, 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 and be lighthearted about that. Yeah. So <laughs> true story. I'm not making that up. I, I believe you. So let's talk mm-hmm. about the powder keg that Stephen A. Smith talked about when he talked mm-hmm. about the dangers of when you combine no knock warrants, license to carry and stand your ground. Mm-hmm. I think that, that this was bound to happen or, I mean, you tell me. So we'll go to Mike first. Mike, what do you think? No, you know he 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 brings up um, he brings up a, a, a valid point, and I, you know for me anyway, me personally, this is my personal opinion. Is my my thought process has changed over time. So I, I've I've had experience on tactical teams. You know I I, I worked I did undercover uh, uh, drug work. So I you know I've I've been into situations where when you step back and you think you think a little deeper, sometimes. I, I, I have to ask myself, was it really worth the risk? You know, and I don't think that anyone's life is, is worth the risk. And, my, uh, and again, my thought process has changed over time. So I always, I, the way I think now is we always have an alternative. Do we always have to go uh, um, running into a house? Um, and depending upon the situation, sometimes we have to. We have to go into that house. Um, under uh, uh, certain situations, you know, suited up, we have to do it. I, I, I get it. Totally understand. But a lot of times we don't have to do that. We have, there are alternatives where uh, the loss of life can be minimized on everybody's part, on the, the, the risk uh, and safety of the officer as well as the occupants in the home. So my thought process over time, like I said, has shifted from Running hard, running, you know, running, running fast, and 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 you know, going to hit the house so we don't lose evidence or whatever the case is. Control bodies. Now it's it's shifted to all right. Let's let's try to figure out alternatives to where we don't have to get the uh, go into the house. We can get the person to come out, and that's you know, we can use things like ruses and and um, you know, other things like that to to really bring the person that of interest to our domain, which is our control. So if we can control the situation. Uh, uh, better as far as law enforcement getting get them get them out of their domain and on and into our world. I think uh, I, I think we can minimize or reduce the the uh, uh, safety safety issues on uh, for law enforcement as well as people inside the home. All right, I love that answer. So I'm going to go to Obed. Obed, I want your response, and I also want you to tell us what is a ruse and have you ever used one. Uh, so to Mike's first point. Um, Great, great, great explanation. And I'm not trying to toot the horn of uh, those of us out here in California, but we're very, very, very good with that when it comes to our training. 
Uh, unfortunately, that's not that's not common across the board. Uh, in some places, some states, uh, the culture is you go in, balls to the wall, uh, you know, pants on fire, just hair on fire. You, you know, you got to go in and you got to solve the problem. And, you know, in many, many cases, and I know that we didn't really get into it yet. I don't know if it's for this episode or for future episodes. But, you know, the phrase that some of us like to use is lawful but awful. And in many cases, oh, talk to me about awful but awful. Explain well, that before you go. Now I'm trying to get to the other question. Now you're gonna ask, I feel like I'm at a White House press conference. You're going to ask me two questions. Hey, that's what happens when you had to come out here and be all profound oh, yeah, and whatnot. Profound, so now, but you got to own that. You got to own that. I'm going to own it. I got you. I got you. No, but what is think about it? You know, in many cases, and I'm, I don't know how many times you've watched videos of, you know, people question whether or not the officer should have done this or should have done that. The thing is, is that if it's within and again, I'm not saying I endorse this. I'm just saying you've got situations where officers are doing what they're trained to do. And when you watch it on camera, it looks ugly. It looks bad. You're like, how in the heck can anybody say this is legitimate, this, that, and a third? Well, if the law says you can do this and your policies and procedures dictate you do this and then you do it. Yeah, it's lawful, but is that the right thing to do? This is where we go back into transformational leadership. This is where we go about, you know, we talk about emotional intelligence and de-escalation and, you know, empathy and compassion. And sometimes, you know, when you do those things, you're violating policies and so on and so forth. And you can be disciplined for that. And Lord knows how many officers have been disciplined for doing the right things Right. And it may go contrary to, you know, policies or contrary to what the law says. And, you know, sometimes the department's like, hey, you know, we had a good outcome. But because of the way you went about it, you know, you got to get this letter of reprimand or whatever that is. This is why, you know, this narrative of where are the good cops? How come we don't hear from them? It's because when they're standing up and doing the right things, you know, they get chopped down. Their careers are ended right then and there, so they can't promote, they can't go to special units, they can't do any of these things. And so what you do is, A, disincentivize that officer from doing what they should be doing, right? Because when we talk about the role of law enforcement society, it's to maintain public safety. And again, I know this is a whole another episode on what that's supposed to look like and everything, but if you discipline this one officer for doing the right things the right way, Right. What the community expects. And it goes contrary to the lawful but awful. Right. So now you've disincentivized this person for promoting getting some special units and so on and so forth. The officer next door to your right or to your left is over here like, oh, y'all see what they did to Obit? Yeah. So, I mean, if I want to go somewhere, <laughs> I'm going to make sure I follow procedure, the policy, the law, blah, 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 because I know I want to move in my career trajectory wants to go forward and all that, all those kinds of things. And I'm telling you, I mean, that's a separate, again, there's like 15 different dissertation topics that we just went through right now. But unfortunately, you know, because the law stipulates you can do something doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it. You can use some discretion. You can use some compassion. It doesn't hurt to be empathetic. And we need more law enforcement agencies. We need more leaders in policing to endorse that. To say it's okay that it took you an extra 15 minutes to talk to somebody before you arrested them as opposed to, well, you should have, like, tackled him or her right away and should have, you know, officer safety, this and that. It's like, hey, man, you know, clearly, you know, he had nothing in his pockets or in his hands. I don't need to do the pissing match, pardon my Spanish for anybody who's you know, watching. I don't have to do that in every single circumstances. I can look at it from the totality and say, you know what? This is a nothing burger. I'm going to treat it as a nothing burger at the lowest level possible. I don't have to take it to the highest level. So, Obed, I got to jump in, and I got to give Massachusetts some props here. Mm -hmm. This is something that, first of all, you stepped into my domain, and you started doing kind of like a DT thing. So, you know, you know, as you know, I teach defensive tactics, mm -hmm. and I teach another subject called integrating communication and tactics, which, which we call ICAT. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole premise of ICAT is you talk and you try to reason and you use space, time, cover, and distance for as long as practically possible to avoid the use of force. Mm -hmm. That's something that I got to say, I, I mean, I, I think we see that in Massachusetts all the time, which is for the most part why, I don't want to jinx this, but you don't see too many of these crazy things happening here in Massachusetts because 
I think that a lot of authors, even the ones that, the crusty ones that act like they don't want to be in the classroom, even they have bought into this. Mm-hmm. And secondly, the use of force continuum, which is, you know, for those of you watching, that is what dictates what the totality of the circumstances, which is when I arrive on a scene, all right, my perception of what's going on, the threat level, and then my reasonable response. Those three things equal the totality of the circumstances. So just because, like, for example, the use of force continuum says if someone pushes me that I may be able to strike them, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean I should in all circumstances. Because Mm -hmm. if Obed, who is a workout fiend, or Mike, you know, one of these CrossFit-type guys, shoves me, I might have to strike them in order to calm them down. But if a, I have a 90-year-old, 100-pound woman, frail woman, and she pushes me, do I need to strike her? Like, yes, it's the same action, but in all reality, that's where you've got to kind of use a little common sense. So the use of force continuum is not an I get to. It is not, well, if subject does A, I get to do B. If someone pulls a knife on me, guess what? I get to shoot them now. Like, yes, that is an option, but... You know, when when there's other um, options available to you, you can try that. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because Mike LaFleur asked a question earlier on about the no-knock warrants. Just because I am granted a no-knock warrant doesn't mean I, I have – now I'm stuck and i got to kick the door in and not say, hey, the police are here. Bingo. Bingo. It doesn't mean I have to do that. Right. The fact that people – it's clear that people don't understand that because people are saying, well, I don't understand why they would have knocked and announced if they had a no-knock warrant. That's like saying I don't understand why you didn't shoot somebody because they picked up a bat and they were 20, 20 yards away from you. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it could be deadly force, but the 20 yards between us might give me time to do something else. Mm-hmm. So that no-knock warrant being granted and them choosing to use a lower level of intrusion should not be vilified at all, regardless of how people feel about this outcome. So I, feel, I just felt the need to uh, expound upon that. So no, you nailed it. That there's your quintessential lawful but awful. If a 90 year old person is got a weapon in their hands, or let's say they have no weapons and they shove me, like you just said, yeah, technically I can go hands on and arrest them and do what I need to do, right? Is that necessary though? Just because I can, do I have to do it? Mike, so Mike, I can tell you, chomping at the bit, jump in. What is mine? No, I'm 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 enjoying the uh, the 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 dialogue between you two. I mean, I, I think I think you, I like what Obed said, uh, lawful, but awful, you know. And then you just clarified a little bit about what that means. Yes, yes, I can lawfully do it, but do I really need to do that? Do I really need to do that? You know, and that's that that's that's where you get the the bad taste in people's mouths. All right, and and it's it's that's when you that's when it becomes difficult for people to digest some of the things that they see is because yes, we understand that it's, 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 uh, um, and I'm just speaking in gen- general terms. I'm not speaking in, in particular to any particular incident. I'm just, um, so when you get, when, when, when people see that and, and, and if we can see that, right, if we can, if we're going off this whole lawful, but awful, if we can realize that, what do you think that the general public is, is saying? You know what I mean? So I, I think that I think that we as law enforcement officers have to um, have to realize that a, a little a little better, you know. And, and again, Obed said it perfectly lawful, but awful. Like we, we, we have alternatives. We can we can do other things like, you know, let's 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 be reasonable about things, in, especially in today's in in where society wants policing to go. And, 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 and guess what? You either with everything in life, you either adapt or you die. That's what happens. You adapt or you die. And that's that's what we're trying to do in law enforcement is, is we're constantly trying to adapt to, to the to the changes in societies and then what the community wants, what the community needs. Um, and 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 um, and and so we're trying to catch up. We're trying to adapt with the community needs and, and what uh, what what uh, what the world needs right now. So. Um, but Obed, you hit it on the head, and, and Dean, you 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 explained that perfectly. Awful, but awful. Yeah, and this is why, again, I know Dean's trying to move on, but that's why I'm such a proponent for evidence-based policing. Research what's effective, what works, so that we do the least amount of harm, not just for officer safety, but for the community um, at the same time. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, 
Oh, but I got to say, you, I, um, I've always believed in it, but I didn't know exactly what to call it. It's like, it's like a, it's like you have a feel, it's like a gut feeling. Like I always believed in evidence-based policing and I know we, we touched upon it in the academies, but I didn't, I, I've never run into somebody that was, uh, you know, where you are with the level of, of your expertise with evidence-based policing. And, um, and again, maybe at the end, maybe on my supply of the wide site, if those of you are interested, I will post some links so you can learn more about evidence-based policing and why that seems to be the trend of the future for some of the free thinkers that are in law enforcement. So let me touch upon some of the comments here. So, uh, so Fred Leland, who is one of the uh, most well-known police trainers in Massachusetts, um, I believe that Fred has 30-plus years of law enforcement in. He is uh, enjoying retirement, but he still, he still teaches uh, first-line supervisor classes. He teaches uh, transformational leadership-type classes. So Fred is a guy, a uh, very well-read man. He's a good guy to know. So he says outstanding points on other alternatives, especially adaptability. And he goes, you train, and then you trust them to do their jobs. So you train your people, and you trust them to do their jobs. Um, it seems so simple, but sometimes that's not always the case. And then D. Burgundy says, yes, I'd rather talk and calm it down than go hands-on if I have to. It's a win-win. So um, if you look at some of the comments, you know, again, for those of you that aren't in law enforcement and you're, and you're just tuning in, you have a lot of people with law enforcement on, including the three of us, and we're all proponents of if I can talk somebody into handcuffs or if I can maybe reason with somebody and maybe just even just give them a court date like a summons, that's, that's preferable. Like there are very few of us that go to work every day and we say, you know what, I feel like hurting somebody. So I can now maybe lose my house and I can get divorced or I can move and have to change my name. Not a lot of cops are in that mind, that mind space. So with that said, I'm going to go back to something that Mike said at the outset of the show when he talked about warriors to guardians. So the question I'm going to ask you both as we're, as we're winding down here is this. So warriors, guardians, can you be both? Or do you have to choose one or the other? So, Mike, since you brought it up, I'm going to go to you first. You know, we have to have a warrior spirit, but a guardian's mentality. And, and, what, I, and what, I, what I mean by a warrior spirit is you have to be willing to do, uh, to put your, yourself in, 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 uh, in harm's way uh, to help others who can't or who, you know, who won't or who can't at that particular time. So you have to have a warrior spirit, but you have to have a guardian mentality. Um, um, and, and I think that's that's very, very important to understand and, and realize uh, even more so today than ever is, is you know, we, we, we all want to be we all have to be willing and able to do what we have to do um, to maintain a peaceful situation. And, and a lot of times you, you we're putting ourselves in harm in harm's way. Um, but you also you also have to have that that guardian um, that guardian mentality, mentality. So have that warrior spirit, be ready and willing, but have the warrior mentality. Well said, Obed, I think I know what you're going to say, but go ahead and say it, man. <laughs> let, let, let the people know. What's your response uh, to what Mike uh, just said? I'm going to echo Mike's sentiments and it's got to be that ace in the sleeve, you know, you only need that warrior mentality when it's appropriate, when it's necessary. When you're going out to work every day, if you're a police officer and you're in the streets, you can't be on warrior status when you get out there. This isn't war. We're not in Iraq. This isn't Beirut. You know what I'm saying? You've got to have that mentality of, hey, I'm just another community member. Just like I'm no different than the postal worker, uh, maybe the garbage person, uh, some. Somebody who works in the, you know, the, the office of the clerk or something like that, or even your florist. You know, I'm just another function that helps maintain the city stay in order. I am no better. I am no less than the, than the next person who might be working in the tax office. But should there be a situation you have an active shooter at a mall or in a school? Should you have a situation where, you know, somebody's got a, you know, and acts and they're going after people or maybe going after an officer or something like that. Hell yeah, you're going to need that warrior mentality and you're going to take care of business when you need to take care of business. But you're not going to go to the streets 
and say, hey, what's up, Mrs. Jones? You ready to fight? Let's do this right now. Because you know, I'm going to take your picture. Really? Is that, no. So you can be both. This whole, you know, this whole idea of it's an either or. Like, I, I just don't get it. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like you can be both when it's appropriate. You know what I'm right. saying? Dean and I used to live back in the day. You know what? There were some days where it's just high reps. Once or twice. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But there's some days where you're going to go hard in the paint. You know, when you're going to do some squats and you're going to go heavy. You're going to hear, ah! You know what I'm saying? Because, because, you, because you have to at exactly. that particular time. Exactly. You have to at that particular time. Exactly. Exactly. you got to have both. It can't be you're too much on the extreme with the warrior mindset because that I understand if you're at war. You know what I'm saying? You don't know where bullets are coming from, but if you're walking down the street, driving down the street, and you're just maintaining uh, trust and legitimacy with the community, it's got to be the guardian mindset. And I want to say one more thing, actually, specifically to you. Actually, I'm going to just put the both of you guys in this. All right. So Chuck Wexler, for those who don't know, is the president of the Police Executive, Police Executive Research Forum, PERF. Off of PERF, right. And, yep. you know, he said something a couple weeks ago where he talked about we in policing, us in the leadership positions, maybe not necessarily us where we're at, but he's talking specifically about chiefs and command staffs and policing in general. And he overly emphasized the need, and this is where I'm specifically giving you props, Dane. Um, he overemphasized the need for these conversations that we're having like we have today to be taking place at the command level. And to even have it recorded so that the members of the public can see thought processes, different ideas being, you know, thrown out there. Why we come to the conclusions that we come to or where do we struggle? Where are our blind spots and so on and so forth. By no search of the imagination, are we even attempted to say, Dean, Mike and myself know everything about everything that needs to be known about everything in policing, right? Like you said, yeah, it's Disney World for me, but I ain't sticking around when it comes to like search warrant stuff. I'm good on that. You know, I, even, I wouldn't even say Disney World. I'm like, oh, there's, okay, there's Epcot Center, but I'm going to keep going this way, though, you know, because I'm going to get on that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We all have a certain level of, of expertise. We all have a certain level of love for policing. It's no different than when you look at football. Everybody can't be a quarterback. But that doesn't mean your position is less important if you're an offensive guard or if you're a defensive tackle or a defensive back. So props to you, Dean, because, of course, you are already ahead of this curve. A couple of us have already been ahead of this curve. But even at the highest level and in the most influential circles of policing, they're already asking for the supply of the why type conversations. So I just want to make sure you knew that if you didn't. So Matt, props to you, sir. Well, I appreciate that. And again, like like this, um, this was just a it was it was something that was in my head when I was finishing up my uh, my master's degree. It was kind of like a why not thing. And then. Um, I ran into. I, I remember that I had so many outstanding people like yourselves in my life that I could always lean on, and we can have these conversations. And quite frankly, I asked myself, what took me so long? What took me so long to, to pick up the phone and reach out to you and Mike, who I worked with, and I knew what he was all about for a long time. And uh, you're right; more people need to have these conversations. But it, but it's difficult for some people to put down their uh, their ego and, and and maybe you know look beyond the stars and bars on their uniforms and realize that you know that. A lot of people in different organizations have value. You just have to have the confidence in, in the in the wherewithal just to shut up and listen sometimes. So let me go to a couple comments real quick. So Dee Burgundy, who's a veteran police officer, um, I know that she is somebody. She's somebody that um, not just a police officer. She's somebody that was that was new when I was already on a job, and and um, she has come a long way, and she's put her time in. So she is very big into de-escalation, and she says be approachable. Be able to switch it on when needed. All right, so that speaks to what you were saying. Um, a very uh, lovely lady that I'm kind of familiar with named Heidi, she says, do you think that most officers already have a warrior spirit and a guardian mentality, or is this the potentially a shift for departments and police officers? So really quick, in about a, um, 90 seconds or less, let's see if we can address that. Um, I'll go to Obed. Then I'll go to Mike, and then I'll give my final thoughts. Obed, 90 seconds or less. Yeah, Yeah, easy. It's a cultural thing. In in the institution of policing, that's what's valued. And if you don't believe me, just look at the training curriculum for any police department in any department in the USA. 
you almost see zero to none when it comes to, and when I say zero to none, I mean almost nil at best, maybe four hours worth of de-escalation training, soft skills training, all these things. And then you flip that on its side and then you compare that to the Fortune 500 companies where it's mandatory training, not just from the beginning, but throughout your career or throughout your time during a, a police organization. So if you talk about putting your money where your mouth is, you know, we need to put more money into this type of training in policing. End of discussion, period, full stop. Well said. Mike, floor's yours, brother. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, I think um I I think that we all I I think we all have this law enforcement. A lot of us have this, you know, this warrior mentality because that that's kind of that's kind of how that that keeps us a lot of us feel like that keeps us alive. It keeps us safe. It 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 it, it keeps our guard up. Um and it's important. You know, I I don't want to lessen um I don't want to minimize the importance of of not letting your guard down, but we don't we don't always have to have our guards up in every single situation. And I think that um, and to to go into that guardianship mentality is to you know kind of humanize ourselves a little bit, be approachable. Um, you know, don't don't call me officer, call me call me Mike. You know, um, so so I think if you make them feel like you are part of the community uh, that you serve and that, 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 you know, you genuinely care, then I, I think, I think people would, would be a lot more receptive um, in, in, in regards to um, the atmosphere that, that we're in right now. So um, to answer your, your question, Heidi, I don't think, I don't think not, there's not enough of us that have that guardian mentality. A lot of us don't know how to switch back and forth when we need to, to do it. And they kind of stay transitioned into that warrior mentality, which, which is not, it's not healthy for, um, uh, for a lot of the communities right now. All right. Great point. So I'm going to try to do this in about 45 seconds. Uh, based on my experience, I think that what we're seeing now with a lot of the young folks that are coming on this job, is they actually have the guardianship mentality and they might not have enough of the warrior mentality. <laughs> and what I mean by that is when I train people in defensive tactics, uh, I'm not seeing, I'm seeing people and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that you got to go out there and you got to be a brawler to do this job, but it is common now that some of these young people have never been in a physical altercation with somebody that didn't have share their last name. You know what I mean? Like, as you both know, like fighting with a, with a sibling who you know for the most part is only going to go so far is not the same as fighting and rolling around with somebody who's on their third strike. Right. So yep. I'm mm -hmm. seeing polar opposites. I'm mm -hmm. seeing a, a lot of a lot of cerebral people. And again, we work in Massachusetts, which is probably one of the last states that really doesn't have to go looking for cops. Like it's not like the pool's not where it used to be. But we still can fill our spots, and we don't have to go to other states to get people to come and take our jobs, like 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 you are in California, Robert. Mm -hmm. so, you know, I'm seeing a lot of like college, like cerebral type people taking this job that maybe overestimate the power of being in uniform and realize that sometimes, at some point in your life, you're going to have to put your money where your mouth is, and someone's just not going to do what you say because you're dressed in such a way. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, I'm seeing I'm seeing a little more of that, but I think that you know, like what both of you said, you got to be able to do both, and that and that's something that comes easy to the three of us, but it might not come easy to everybody because it's not easy to read the room. It's not easy to uh, be able to assess a situation in a matter of seconds and come up with a viable plan. That's not something that everybody can do. Right. So, and there's only so much time and so much money to go around for training. But again, that's another um, conversation for another day. Wait, let me just say this to your Go point. All of that is emotional intelligence at Magni Leadership. That's what we train. It's all evidence-based. We know it's effective. If that's something you're interested in, I'll let your boy. And like I said, Mike, Obed, get me some links. I'm going to post them on the Supply the Y page, and I'm going to help you guys get your word out there and get your message out there because you, what you're doing is great work, and we need so much more of it. So and thank you, Dean, yeah. for, again, I don't know how an hour went by that fast. I feel like I've just been sitting here for 10 minutes. We, we, yeah. we're, we're at the bottom of the hour, and probably the best football game of the year is about to t kick off in a matter of seconds. 
So with that being said, thank you, Obed. Thank you, Mike. This has been a fantastic monthly meetup. I can't wait to the uh, last Monday or Tuesday of next month so we can do it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Until then, good night, and I want you both to be safe out there. Let's keep in touch, and we'll talk, and we'll get ready for the next one. All right. Thank you. All right. Good night, everybody. Good